I'm very grateful for our time to be together, grateful for time and worship, and uh, grateful for the prayer, the reading, uh, for the children's ministry. I think that I'm just trying to uh, process the things that I am sensing this morning, and I think one of the things that really just stuck out to me in worship is that this is a time to be sweetly broken. This is a time for us to, to not fight against circumstances. There's, there's really absolutely nothing that you and I can do uh, about a pandemic. We have never been here before. Uh, no one that I know of that is uh, helping direct a church, no, there's, not a, like, there's not a book on what do you do when a pandemic hits. Uh, so we're all, we're all kind of walking through this, like walking down a pathway that we don't know where it goes. So that can be something that we can kind of, we get tired of that. This gets tiring. But, but we need to be sweetly broken that, that there is a God, that he knows what we're living in, that he cares about us, that he loves us. I do think we can listen to our public health officials. I think that we need to be sobered by what's happening in the United States now. We need to look at that honestly and truthfully and recognize that this pandemic is a little bit out of control. And so we need to, like what we're doing this morning, we need to continue to meet online for the benefit of our neighbors, for the benefit of keeping our hospital space open and not filling our hospitals up. We, we need to keep distancing. Uh, we need to keep masks on. Uh, we need to, as best we can, stay home. We, those are all things we can do, and those, those get tiring and we get frustrated. Let's not fight against them. Let's be sweetly broken. Uh, we, uh, in, our, in our community, we're not, I don't think we're feeling a lot of the effects of the unemployment that I know of. If you are... Uh, if you've been unemployed and you're in need, we want to know about that because we want to do our best to help. We, we know that with an economic downturn, the size of what we're looking at, uh, there's going to be people that need help, and we want to be there to help people. We want to do that together. Again, that's a, that's a really frustrating situation to be in. If you lose your job, if you lose your income, that's frustrating. Uh, and again, we can't fight again. Let's not fight against that. Let's work together. Let's be sweetly broken in that. And let's learn some things about our God who provides for us. And then the last, there is unrest. All of this is causing an unrest in our society. There's a racial unrest that's broken out. Once again, it's because we are a nation that has an unreconciled history. Uh, again, let's not Let's not fight about it. Let's, let's, let's do everything we can to try to understand that. And in, the, in this opportunity of having some more space to ourselves, let's, let's see if we can dig in. Let's see if we can learn more about our history. I, for one, did not know about Tulsa. I did not know about the racial unrest in Tulsa, and I did not know about bombs being dropped on Tulsa during that riot. I did not know about that. That was not in my history book. So there are things for us to know. And so of the three, the pandemic, of the unemployment, really, it's really that this, this unrest, uh, this theme of reconciliation that I feel like I want to equip our community and others that are listening. I, I want us to learn how to do reconciliation. 
We need to be reconciled with the pandemic. We need to be reconciled with unemployment and an economic downturn. We need to be reconciled with our neighbors. So that's, that's the pathway I'm on. So let's, in the spirit of just being sweetly broken, what can we learn about doing reconciliation? Reconciliation is the process of ensuring that two sets of records are in agreement. Ensuring that two sets of records are in agreement. Financially, we want the money that's leaving our bank account to be in agreement with the actual money spent. <laughs> we don't want to spend more money that's in, in our account. If we are, we're overdrawn, we're not reconciled. Well, in history, the historical record of the colonizer and the record of the colonized need to be in agreement. If they're not in agreement, they're unreconciled. However, when you look at the record of the settlers of the American West and the record of the Native American, they're not the same record. They're not in agreement. They're not reconciled. The slave owner and the slave tell a different story. So without agreement, there's no reconciliation. I remembered that during our first journey of reconciliation to the Holy Land in 1999, we met our first Palestinian Christians. We had never been taught that Christians still lived in the land. We had been taught only one side of a story. So one of our new friends was an Anglican priest. And we attended his Anglican church service somewhere in Galilee. I don't remember the name of the town. But afterwards, we were swept away by Arab hospitality for the remainder of the afternoon. We went home with the pastor and his family. We enjoyed drinks and snacks in their home. We made reservations uh, for a lunch on the Mediterranean coast. And we topped off the day with ice cream back in their village. It was a very meaningful day. And my, my, my clearest memory is that this Palestinian Anglican priest and I were walking along the beautiful Mediterranean coast. And just in the course of our conversation, he said, I can no longer visit churches in the U.S. Well, of course, I was curious and I asked why. I, I did not know. I had, no, I had no context for what he was saying. He said, well, no one believes my story. My Palestinian story is different from the story of the Israelis. And the church in the U.S., knows all about the Israeli story, but they don't know my story. So when I tell the Palestinian story, the U.S. church rejects my story, and they accuse me of lying. And sometimes they even say, you've got to be possessed by an evil spirit. You see, there's no agreement between the Israeli and the Palestinian story, and with no agreement in the story, there is no reconciliation. So reconciliation is when two sets of records are in agreement, whether it's financial or in history. Reconciliation is the work of bringing these divergent records of history into agreement. When there is, in, when there is agreement, estrangement ends, and friendly, friendly relations can begin. But without reconciliation, it's easy for misunderstanding to grow between people. And as those misunderstandings deepen, they produce 
really deep-seated stereotypes, and those stereotypes keep reconciliation from happening. In an article that's entitled Overcoming Racial Stereotypes, I read, racial stereotypes are automatic and exaggerated mental pictures that we hold about all members of a particular racial group. When we stereotype people based on race, we don't take into account individual differences because our racial stereotypes are so rigid and we tend to ignore or discard any information that is not consistent with the stereotype that we have developed about the racial group. Now you may be wondering, is that type of idea in the Bible? And I would say, yes, that type of idea is in the Bible. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says something that to me sounds very much like this racial stereotyping. He said, we regard no one from a human point of view. What Paul is saying is, we do not know others as far as externals are concerned. We do not evaluate others according to the flesh. That is, by what they have or how they look. Paul, in the same sentence, he confesses that he did formally just do that. He said, in the past, I used to judge people according to the flesh. But from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer that way. What Paul is saying in his own words is that formerly he regarded Jesus from a human point of view. He and others evaluated Jesus according to the flesh by what Jesus had or did not have and how Jesus looked. One of those early stereotypes of Jesus is found in John's gospel. Jesus found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. And then Philip, who was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter, went and found Nathanael. And he said to Nathanael, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, son of Davis, David, David from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good Come out of Nazareth. You see, Nathaniel had a stereotype. There was nothing good that came out of Nazareth. He had stereotyped everyone. Fortunately, Philip said, come and see. And Nathaniel, who initially regarded Jesus with that stereotype, came to see. On the one hand, he was concluding he can't be Messiah. He came from Nazareth. Stereotypes can do a lot of damage. Please consider the destruction caused when we begin to stereotype others. Stereotypes ignore the full humanity and uniqueness of all people. Stereotypes are demeaning, devaluing, limiting, and hurtful to others. In some cases, people who are repeatedly labeled in negative ways will begin to develop feelings of inferiority. And sometimes those feelings of inferiority can lead to self-fulfilling prophecies that perpetuate that stereotype. 
Racial stereotypes can also foster feelings of hate and aggression that might lead to a false sense of entitlement and superiority. For those individuals who have power, this can lead to their engaging in discriminatory and racist practices. We may never have said it this way, but when Paul evaluated Jesus according to a human point of view, he was stereotyping Jesus. And when he stereotyped Jesus, he began to foster feelings of hate and aggression towards those that were following Jesus. And tragically, those feelings of hate and aggression led Paul to engage in discriminatory and racist practices. Paul stood by in agreement with the grisly stoning of Stephen. And Paul, the scripture says, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's how far that stereotype took Paul. Thankfully, Paul, who once regarded Jesus in a stereotype, according to human standards, was transformed from the inside out so that he no longer regarded Jesus in the light of that stereotype. He learned from doing it wrong. He records his story of transformation with these words. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at Messiah that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone and a new life burgeons. Look at it. Paul stopped evaluating people on the basis of externals. It no longer mattered what they had, what they did not have, or how they looked. He began to see through the externals to the inside. And when he looked to the inside, this is what he saw. Anyone united with Jesus, Messiah, is a new creation. The old life passes away. We all get a fresh start with Jesus. New life begins growing and developing quickly. So as we see that transformation in Paul, it leads me to begin to ask some questions. What do we see when we look within ourselves? How do we see our neighbors? Are our stereotypes of others being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in us? We want to do reconciliation because reconciliation pleases Jesus. 
Because Jesus one day will ask us how we did in reconciling with our neighbors. Jesus loves us into reconciliation. And that work of reconciliation begins from a focus center. The cross and the resurrection are the center of reconciliation. And all must die to self-interest. Our stereotypes of others, which we all carry, must die on the cross with Jesus and be buried with him in his tomb. We must all be raised to new life, a new creation, with new eyes to see beyond the externals. Let our firm decision be to work from this focus center. And because of this decision, may we not evaluate people by what they have or how they look. The question becomes, have we made those decisions? I want us to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to do his work of ministry with some of these thoughts. Philip did not make a big deal about Nathaniel's initial stereotypic response about Jesus. But clearly, Nathaniel had a prejudice against those who were born and raised in Nazareth. Instead of correcting Philip, instead of correcting Nathaniel, Philip gave him an invitation. That invitation was, come and see for yourself. Suspend your initial snap judgment and come meet Jesus. All of us host an assortment of stereotypes. Some of them are racial, others are religious, they can be national, they can be gender related, they can be based on economic status. Are we self-aware? Do we know ourselves? Are we honest about this? So let me say, this is where I believe we should start, with that same invitation that Philip gave to his prejudiced brother. Come and see. So just take a moment, just whether you're sitting there, if you want to stand, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you come? This is your opportunity to do ministry among us and within us, between us, and through us. Holy Spirit, come. Lead us to Jesus. Open our eyes to see Jesus. As you open your eyes to see Jesus, what do you see? Jesus, transform us. As we see you, change the way that we see others. Jesus, make us blind to externals. Give us eyes to see what's on the inside. Finally, Holy Spirit, who are we to seek reconciliation with this week? Lead us. 
let us participate in your ministry of reconciliation. In your name.